It's great to be with you again. Today we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. Also, please grab a notepad, a pen, and take some notes as you listen to the sermon, as you read the passage. I pray that uh, through God's Spirit, He might speak to you, that you would respond through reflection and through prayer. So I always encourage you to have that with you during the sermon. And um, today we're going to be looking at a great passage that's going to introduce uh, a new person into the story of Jesus here in John's Gospel. And so I'll be reading verses 6 to 8, and you're welcome to follow along in your own Bibles. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So today we're going to be looking at this person in the gospel called John, his name. But he's not John, the gospel writer. I know it's confusing, especially if you're new to the Bible or to this gospel, but the apostle John, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, wrote this gospel. But the John here in verses 68 and the John that will be appearing from time to time in the story is John the Baptist. John was a popular name back then, and so the, just like other names today, the name James or Jacob or Samuel, there are many men with the name John. And so today we're going to be looking at John the Baptist, and he, he's going to appear several times throughout the story. As we'll see, he mainly appears, just as John says here, as a witness to the true identity of Jesus. And so let me pray for us as we, as we dive into this text, and then we'll see what God has for us today. Father, I do thank you so much for my brothers and sisters who have decided today to spend some time in your word. And I pray that you bless their time. I pray you bless their desires to know you, to know your word. And God, I ask on behalf of all of us that you would bless us in that way, that we would see you and know you through your word today. We ask for your spirit to bless us, to be with us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you hear in these verses, John has been claiming in verses 1 to 5 that this person we're going to see as Jesus, he is this pre-incarnate, eternal, divine word of God, that he has all the aspects of deity, everything that God possesses, all of his attributes, everything that's in his nature as God, the word also possesses, and that he does the work God does. And we talked about how one of the key exclusive works that God alone does is creation. And so John points out that the Word of God, he is actively involved in creation and giving life, and how this creative act of giving life now becomes a saving act of giving life. That he who has always been the light shines in the darkness, that he has come that same unbelievably amazing power of God to give life has come to give life to those who have died in their sins. And so now, John's been writing this about who will become the person who will become Jesus, and now he's going to bring in a witness, and he's going to say, look, this isn't just something that I'm saying. Here's a, here's a witness who's going to confirm 
what I've been saying. And in fact, throughout this gospel, John brings up multiple witnesses to Jesus' true identity as the Son of God, as the Savior. Remember I said we're calling this series I Am because the focus of John's gospel is that to know and to believe that Jesus is God is the key to salvation. Jesus is not just the facilitator of salvation. He is the focus of salvation. To be saved is to worship Jesus. He is the person through whom we are saved and the person for whom we are saved and the person to whom we are saved. He is our God. And so this gospel, the focus is is on Jesus revealing himself to be our God and our deliverer. And there's a lot of Old Testament parallels to that, especially in the book of Exodus. And we're going to get there later on in this chapter. But that is the focus of John's gospel, and that's why I'm calling this series, I Am. And so John brings up multiple witnesses throughout the gospel testifying to Jesus' true identity. We can truly imagine a court scene where John's making a claim, this is who Jesus is. And now he's going to bring up all these witnesses to testify, to verify, to confirm what has been claimed. One of the key witnesses he brings up is John the Baptist. Now, we might ask, well, why? Why why would John the Baptist be someone that John the Gospel writer would want to have in this account as a witness to Jesus? I mean, it is true that in John the Baptist's own ministry, his own life, he witnessed to Jesus, but why, for John the Gospel writer, does he want to include that? I mean, he brings it in because he thinks it's a pivotal point to his gospel narrative. Well, there's a few reasons. One is that John the Baptist was well-respected among Jewish people. Even among those who were not Christians, per se, but who were, who were still Jewish, had not believed in Jesus, John the Baptist had a very high reputation in some circles. There was a large sentiment within the Jewish um, people at the time of Jesus that was very distrusting and very ambivalent about the religious leadership in Judaism at the time. They felt they were too worldly. They had compromised too much with the, the political leaders who were very worldly, and they seemed to be very much in it for themselves, if you will. And that wasn't the sentiment of every Jew, of course not. But there was, it was a sentiment among a large portion that John the Baptist was from God. When John says, John the Gospel writer says in verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John, that is something that many Jews believed. Many Jews believed that John the Baptist was a prophet sent from God because they looked at the prophets of the Old Testament, their ministries, their words, and they compared them to John. And John and his claims, and they said, yes, this man is a prophet sent from God. And in fact, if you recall, in another gospel account, Jesus actually traps some of the Pharisees, some of the critics of him, in, 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 a, in a conundrum. Because they ask him to say, um, you know, something about Caesar. And, and Jesus' response is, well, I'll tell you what, I'll answer you if you answer me this question. Was John the Baptist sent from God? 
And it says the, the, the Pharisees were afraid to respond because they, they knew that if they had said no, that John the Baptist wasn't sent from God, that the crowds would be in an uproar because the crowds supported John the Baptist. But they knew that if they said that, that he was a prophet sent from God, that then the question would be, well, then why didn't you support him? Why did you ostracize him? Why did you basically participate in him being arrested and killed? And so it's very evident that uh, in all four gospel accounts, we can see John the Baptist among the Jewish people, not even those who were following Jesus, just among the Jewish people in general, he had a very high reputation. He was someone, in other words, that a Jewish person would listen to. Someone that a Jewish person would intuitively say, well, if, if anyone is from God, John the Baptist is from God. So that's a key reason why John the Gospel writer brings him in as a witness to Jesus. Not only because in his life he actually did witness to Jesus, but because he is a key witness that would have a lot of credibility in the eyes of Jewish people. And so John brings him in here because he wants us to see that what he's been saying about Jesus is confirmed by John the Baptist. These are not claims that he's making up himself about, about Jesus. Well, you're a Christian. Of course you believe that about Jesus. John says, well, here's another witness that says the same thing. And so what does John say? The, John the Baptist agrees with what John the Gospel writer has just said about Jesus. If you recall last sermon, we looked at the previous few verses where John says, in him was life, and this life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. That's his claim about Jesus in the previous verses. And now John says, here John the Baptist agrees. He came testifying as a witness about the light. And then verse 8, he, he himself, that is John the Baptist, he himself was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So John, the gospel writer, is making a claim here. He's saying, look, John the Baptist, we all know that he had a very successful, if you want to use that word, ministry. Now, he lived out in the desert, and, and he ate locusts and honey, and he just, you know, from a worldly point of view, he was not successful. But from the viewpoint of the Jewish people who had a high respect for him, there are a few people within Judaism at the time, within certain circles, that had a higher reputation than John the Baptist. And yet, despite his so-called fame, his, his importance, his significance among the Jewish people, John, the gospel writer, says his whole ministry was not about himself, was not to point to himself as a prophet or as a savior or as a, anything great. His whole purpose was to point to someone else. John the Baptist's whole purpose was to point to the word who will become Jesus. And that's very clear in the Greek of verse 7. In my, in my translation, it's not quite as clear. So I'm going to read to you uh, the translation that would come out of the Greek more woodenly, but you, you'll see it. Verse 7, he came as a witness so that, or in order that, he might testify about the light in order that all might believe through him. There's a word in Greek, hina, 
And it can be translated as so that or in order that. And it appears twice in verse 7. And it sets up a very straightforward purpose-result clause. Essentially saying John came for the purpose of this with the, desi- with the desired result being this. So John came as a witness with the purpose to testify about the light. That was John the Baptist's purpose. His whole ministry, calling people to repentance for, for sin, baptizing them, his whole purpose was to point to Jesus. And why did he want to do that? So that through his testimony, through his witness bearing, all might believe through him. This him here in verse 7 at the end is not Jesus. I know we're used to seeing that all might believe through Jesus. That, that's, that we, we, that's what we would expect, but that's not what John's saying. He's saying John the Baptist's ministry was, in essence, a gateway into faith in Jesus. John the Baptist's ministry was a gateway into faith in Jesus. That was the purpose of his ministry. Now, just think about this. John the Baptist had a high respect in Jewish circles. Not all of them, but, but a, good, a good number of them. He had gained a, lot, a very high reputation as being a prophet sent from God. And yet, his whole ministry was not about him, but was about someone else. Now, I say that because, humanly speaking, that is very anti-human. We are inherently wired to be self-advocating, to be about our own business, our own careers, our own names, our own reputations, our own bank accounts, our own achievements. Even as Christians, it's, it's wired into us to be about ourselves. So imagine being John the Baptist and knowing that your whole purpose is to be about someone else. I don't want to steal the thunder, but later on, John will even go, go so far. When, as Jesus' ministry begins to rise, basically, Jesus' ministry fee, initially feeds off of John the Baptist. People who are following John the Baptist, who were going to him, start going to Jesus because he's the next new big thing, and he's doing really cool miracles and whatnot. And, as, and when, when uh, John the Baptist's followers ask him about it, he says, he is, he is the Son of God. It is for this purpose that I came, to point to him. Therefore, he must increase, I must decrease. It's a radical, selfless statement. John the Baptist, what's amazing about him is that he didn't just, he wasn't just forced against his will to do this. He was willingly playing his role in setting up Jesus' ministry and his work, and it's truly humbling to think about how selfless John the Baptist was. He will eventually die for his ministry. Because he came, and he came to testify about the light, which he did publicly, calling people to repentance and faith, and eventually to to believe in Jesus, because he did that, And because he was a prophet sent from God, eventually he was killed. He was beheaded. He is 
a true example of selflessness in the Bible. And so John brings him in here as a witness to testify about Jesus, that he is who he says he is. And we're going to see this, this idea of witnessing comes up all, all throughout the gospel. In fact, if you look at the Greek word, which is martyria, that's the noun form, which is someone who's a witness or a testimony, that appears 14 times in the gospel. And the verb form, to bear witness, which is the same root word in Greek, that comes up 33 times. So all told, you're looking at about 47 times, if my math is right, 47 times where this word comes up in this gospel. That is a lot, far more than any other book. And it's not just because John's longer. If you look at the other books that are long too, Acts or Luke or Matthew, it it appears, but not near as often. For John, this is a key theme throughout the gospel that, that it's not just these claims that, hey, Jesus is the Son of God, just believe it because I said so. He brings in witness after witness to testify and to give evidence that verifies Jesus' claims to deity and to be our Savior. And that's important because, again, we live in an age where people think, oh, well, ancient people just believed all kinds of funny things. So, of course, they believed that Jesus was God. And there are lots of critical scholars who claim that basically a group of people made that idea up. Well, okay, they'll, they'll say, well, okay, maybe Jesus lived. Historically speaking, it's hard for us as honest historians to deny that when you look at the evidence. Maybe he lived. But come on. He was just a rabbi. He was just some sort of leader of a zealous messianic movement killed by the Romans, and then they concocted this whole resurrection story for whatever reason. Maybe they genuinely believed it, maybe they didn't, but it was just a complete um, concoction. Guys like Bart Ehrman make these claims. Friends, when they do so, they are mocking, they're literally mocking the integrity and the credibility of these New Testament believers. These people were every bit as critical of fake news, as critical of false, deceptive lies as you and I are. Ancient people are people. And if there's anything I've learned about people as I've gotten older, is that people as adults especially are inherently suspicious, are inherently cynical. And imagine in the ancient world, things were really hard. And there were lots of choices of what gods to believe in. So there was no need, quote-unquote, for Jesus in that sense. So to argue that these folks were so gullible, so dumb, as to believe in something that was just made up, is to rob them of the basic integrity of being a thinking, rational human being. And John, the gospel writer, reveals that he gets it. He gets that people will have questions. He gets that you can't just say, hey, God came to earth. He gets that people are rational. They want proof. And so his gospel contains a consistent theme that, look, don't just take my word for it. Here is the witnesses 
the, the multitude of voices who also say this. Listen to them. And here's the evidence that they bring. So John the Baptist, of course, as I've already said, is one of those key witnesses. But there are other ones as well. Jesus himself, and especially his works, Jesus says, testify, bear witness about who he is. And since only God can do these things. So in chapter 10, verse 25, or chapter 18, verse 37, are just two places where Jesus basically says, look, me, I myself and my works verify that when I say I am the Son of God, I am the Savior, these things verify it. They bear witness to my words. The scriptures bear witness. All the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, they bear witness to Jesus as the Savior and as the Son of God. uh, Jesus himself says that in chapter 5, verse 39. The Samaritan woman in chapter 4. Remember, Jesus reveals who she really is, and she goes back to her village, and she tells them that he knew all this about her, and the text says she bore witness to who he was. Chapter 4, verse 39. She bears witness to his identity. The Father, chapter 8, verse 18, bears witness to who Jesus is. The crowds who witnessed the raising of Lazarus from the dead in chapter 12, verse 17, they bear witness. The Spirit, chapter 15, verse 26, John says, or excuse me, Jesus says, the Spirit bears witness to who he is. And then the very next verse, 15, 27, Jesus says his followers will bear witness to who he is. And then finally, John the Gospel writer says, I bear witness. Chapter 19, verse 35, 21, 24, John says, this gospel is my bearing witness to who Jesus is. And so we must understand that the narrative that, Jesus, that John's giving us here about Jesus' life and teaching and work, they have an aim, an aim to back up the claim that Jesus makes and that John makes in his gospel that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And so as you read this gospel, you have to ask yourself, what do you make of the evidence? What do you make of the testimonies of Scripture as to who Jesus is? But more abstractly, what I want you to get, to get here is when, any, when you hear anyone say that this whole thing was just made up, Jesus as God, people just came along and made that up, you say, uh-uh, that would not have flown in the ancient world. These people lived at a time when they could have easily verified the claims made about Jesus from a historical perspective. Did he live? Did he do these things? They easily could have verified all of that. The fact that these men who wrote the New Testament appeal to history, to fact. You know, if you go read a lot of other ancient religions, they don't appeal to history. Christianity alone is unique. And then it says, look, what we claim to be true about God is observable, is knowable through history. That is unique to Christianity and to Judaism. It's, it's you know, where it grew out of. These are unique claims to the Bible. God as the creator comes and reveals himself in ways that we as human beings in our lives, in our history, can see and perceive and know. That is unique. 
to Christianity. So John the Gospel writer, following the, 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 the thousands of years of history of the Old Testament, bears witness to Jesus' claims through what he has done in actual history. And these witnesses give testimony to that. So John the Baptist came as a witness to testify about the light. His whole ministry was other-centered. And as I already hinted at earlier, if you're not familiar with his story, he will eventually die. He will eventually be killed for speaking out against, specifically for speaking out against the, 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 the local rulers sleeping with his relative. But in general, John the Baptist was not liked among the political and religious leaders because he was highly critical of them. And just as John says here, that through him all might believe, it was actually through John the Baptist's own ministry, which started earlier than Jesus's, that Jesus's ministry began to pick up momentum. And we'll see here in just a few uh, verses that it is followers of John the Baptist who become some of the first disciples of Jesus. So I have a few questions for you in light of these verses. First one is this. Now, we live in a day and age where I'm going to be quite frank. I feel like there are a lot of religious charlatans out there. Now, this is nothing new. That's been around forever. People using religion to make a name for themselves, make a few bucks, so on and so forth. But as a Christian, let me encourage you. Go to a church where the pastor or the leadership has just a little bit of John the Baptist in them. John the Baptist told it like it was from the Word of God, regardless of the audience or regardless of the consequences. Does your pastor, does your leadership act that way? I don't mean that they're offensive to be offensive from a cultural standpoint. I mean, are they willing to just plainly, straightforwardly speak the Word of God from Scripture to God's people regardless of consequences? John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus was first and foremost a call for the Jewish people to repent and to be baptized in preparation for his coming. It was not a happy, cheery, fun-filled, entertainment, consumer-driven ministry. It was a ministry calling people to repent and to be baptized and to wait for the coming Messiah. It was a ministry filled with the Word of God, filled with the power of God. But we live in a day and age where through all kinds of modern gimmicks and tricks and shows, there are, in my opinion, a lot of men walking around with the title pastor who really need to sit at John the Baptist's feet and learn what it means to honestly, simply, straightforwardly speak and minister from God's word, regardless of the consequences. And secondly, is your pastor, is your leadership, are they other-centered? Is their whole ministry, their whole being, is it all about Jesus? Or is it about themselves? Is the church their kingdom? Do they have to control everything? Do they walk around looking important? Is their name on the building? Is this ministry about how great they are, about all the great things they're doing for God? Is the church your savior? 
from the perspective of the pastor. Oh, our church is the best. We're doing the work of God. You, you come here, you'll never know God like you knew him here. Those sound very holy, those phrases. But really what, what the pastor, what the leadership is saying is, this church will save you. This church is where it's at. That's not John the Baptist. John the Baptist's whole ministry was other-centered, not pointing to himself, not pointing to his works or whatever he, achievement, quote-unquote, that he was having. It was all about pointing to Jesus. And I think every pastor should have that mentality. They, they exist. Their ministry is about the other. Would it be said of all of our pastors, I must decrease, he must increase? It might be true that a young believer thinks, wow, I've never heard someone like this. They're amazing, and they become a Christian. And at first, that young Christian thinks the world and, and has their pastor up on a pedestal. But I think any John the Baptist-style pastor would say, look, brother, look, sister, I really appreciate your compliments. But just so you know, my prayer for you and your faith is that as you mature, I decrease and Jesus increases because he is the one who saved you. He is the focus of your salvation. And everything I do is because of him, through him, and for him. So let me encourage you, as a brother or sister in Christ, to go to a church where the pastor and the leadership have a little bit of John the Baptist in them. You don't want, maybe not too much. You don't necessarily want to be locusts and honey and walk around sackcloth. That was, that was unique to John's ministry. But just that that's clear, that clear sense that this ministry is from God, for God, and about God, not me. We need that so much in our churches. And let me ask you, if you're a believer in Christ, do you know that you are a witness bearer? I'm not saying you need to go out there and have some sort of amazing prophetic ministry or that you need to come up with some sort of grand scheme to, to testify about Jesus. I'm saying that you simply carrying out God's call in your life, whatever that is, whether it's the small things or great things or whatever things, you doing that faithfully, you are bearing witness to God. You know, when, whenever someone, a family member or a friend who knew me back in the day says, wow, I can't believe you are who you are, you've done what you've done, or you have six kids, that sort of thing, I always say, look, let me be clear. Everything I have, everything I am is from God. If he hadn't saved me, I would be absolutely nothing. I don't even know if I'd still be on earth right now. I don't even know if I'd still be alive. I was in death and sin and misery and utterly and completely hopeless and helpless until God saved me. Every one of us should have that testimony, no matter what it looks like for you specifically. Because our lives are inherently other-centered. Everything we have and are is from God. Let the people around you see that. They may not get it, just as John just said a few verses earlier, you know, that people look at the light, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. There will be plenty of people who will not understand you. Oh, you're just, you're just being humble. You're just saying that. No, it's true. Let me tell you, it's really true. Okay, okay. They won't understand. But some will, and some will ask. 
embrace your identity as a witness bearer to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. As we go down this passage, we're going to see some more of John's words, and I look forward to doing that with you. There's some great uh, verses that are coming up about uh, his ministry and what he claims about Jesus. But this morning, we're just seeing how he is this first initial witness that John brings to that Jesus is who he says he is. If you're not a believer, let me encourage you this. Read this gospel all the way through and see the claims that Jesus makes and the things that he does that verify and back up his claims. And then look at what other people in the gospel claim about Jesus and verify and ask yourself, what do you believe? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this hour with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray if any of them are undergoing severe trial, whether that's a physical hardship, a financial hardship, relational hardship, I pray that you would encourage them with your word today that you are their God. You are with them. And I pray that you would give them the strength to bear up under their hardships. And God, I ask if there's a person who's listening today who is not a believer in Christ, that they would read this gospel all the way through. See God in and through Jesus Christ and recognize that he is their Savior, that he came to deliver them, that they would put their faith in him. And for us as believers, I pray that we would be marked as those who are witness bearers to who you are, that our lives would bear testimony to how great, how good, how amazing, how wonderful is our God and our salvation. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.